Chapter 11 of Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Piotr Natter. Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. Chapter 11 by Helen Campbell. Gospel Work in the Slums. An All-Night Missionary's Life. A Midnight Curbstone Meeting, Abshinbone Alley. An all-night missionary's life is full of strange experiences. Mr. Gibbles' faithful work in this capacity was unique, and from his store of reminiscences I give, in his own words, the following interesting incidents. A Midnight Curbstone Meeting Late one night I was pleading with a drunken man on the Bowery, while two friends stood waiting for me not far off. Suddenly I noticed one of a gang of thieves, who were lounging around the door of a low concert hall, leave his companions, approach my friends, and enter into conversation. I left my men and joined them. Seeing that I was the leader of the party, he addressed himself to me, suggesting that we try our hands at a game. My friend, I said, I know you and your confidence game. I should think a man like you would want to be in some better business than swindling people. It's mighty mean business, that of a thief, don't you think so? At first he was too much astonished to do anything but glare savagely at me. Then, recovering himself, he acted as though he was about to spring upon me. I laid my hand on his arm and gently said, You ought to be a Christian. He started back as though struck, but quickly recovered, and said with a sneer and in a loud voice, Me a Christian? Will Christ pay my rent? Will Christ feed me? Well, I said, I have seen a good many begin serving Christ without a cent or even a place to lay their heads, and I never knew one he let go down who was really in earnest. But see here, did you ever see Christ? No, but I expect to see him, and I have his word that I shall. Turning to his companions, he shouted, Come here, fellows, and see a chump who's got a promise of seeing Christ. We were standing under an electric light, it being long past midnight. Quite a number who were passing stopped, the thief's companions gathered round, and I soon found myself in the centre of a typical Bowery crowd, Jew and Gentile, a number of sporting men and thieves, two or three fallen women, several drunken men, and others attracted by the noise, eager to see what was going on. Again turning to his companions, the thief said in loud and jeering tones, Here's a fellow as is going to see Christ. Yes, I said, opening the Bible, I have his word for it. I will read it to you. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, you are a son of God, are you? he exclaimed contemptuously. Yes, and I have his word for that. Reading the Bible again, as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I was once far away from God, a great sinner, but I believed and received, and became his child. Well, brother, here's my hand. I'm a child of God, too, he said, winking at his companions. Oh, no, said I, don't call me brother, you don't belong to the Lord's family, ye are of your father the devil, and I read from Romans, 
Know ye not to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Your regular business is to serve the devil, and you can't palm yourself off on me as one of God's family. But you may be adopted into his family if you will. Then I read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A man who had one of his ears nearly torn off in a fight, and whose head was bandaged so that only his eyes and mouth could be seen, said, You had better take a back seat, Bill. He's too much for you. Bill quickly turned with an angry oath and said, You'd better get out of this, or maybe you'll get a swipe across the other ear. There's nothing here for the likes of you, a man with only one ear. At this the crowd laughed, and guide the man with the bandaged head, who was quickly making his way out of the crowd, when I reached over and caught him by the shoulder and said, Hold on, my friend, there is something for you. And turning to Revelation I read, He that hath an ear, let him hear. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. The crowd laughed boisterously at this quotation, and I saw that I had their sympathy. So I gave them an invitation to attend the meetings at the mission, and after a few more words I closed by saying, we shall never all meet on earth again, but we shall each have to give an account of this curbstone meeting. May God bless every one of you. One rough fellow stepped forward with tears in his eyes and shook my hand heartily, saying, Stick to it, I wish I had. I was brought up right, in Sunday school and all, and if I had stuck to it, I wouldn't be what I am tonight. Just as he was going away, Bill came up and said, much to my surprise, you mustn't mind what I said. I've been a-drinking. I used to belong to the church and was a Christian, but I got off. I know it's the better way, but there's no good talking to me. It's no use. It's no use. After a few words with him, I left, praying God to bless the seed sown by the wayside. On the following Sunday evening, when I opened the meeting at the mission for testimony, one of Bill's companions got up and said, I have been a drinking man all my life, and have spent many years in prison. But last Thursday night, the man in the chair there came down near where I stay, and talked about Christ, and I made up my mind to be a Christian, and I haven't touched a drop of liquor since. When the invitation for prayers was given, the first one to come forward was Bill. For two nights, both of these men were present, Bill coming forward for prayers each night. Then I lost sight of them. Nearly six months passed, when Bill's companion, neatly dressed and greatly altered, came again to the mission room. He requested us to sing, All the way my Saviour leads me, what have I to ask beside? And followed it by saying, That is my experience. He then told us how God had kept and blessed him, and had given him employment. The inspector of police, who had so many times caused his arrest, had obtained work for him, he was often with us in the meetings after this, and became an earnest worker. One night he said to me, Do you remember Bill, the one who wanted to know if Christ would pay his rent? Yes. Well, the devil has paid his rent for life. He was sentenced for life last week, for shooting a bartender. Speaking of this incident at a convention, a nurse from one of the city hospitals inquired the time this occurred, and said, I think I attended the man who had his ear injured. He came to the hospital, and an operation was performed. 
but it was unsuccessful, and he was obliged to come back again and have his ear entirely cut off. The man asked the surgeon if he could get a false ear. No, said the surgeon, you will have to go through life with one ear. Well, said the man, thank God I have heard of a book that says there is something for a man with one ear. So God blessed the seed, even though it seemed to fall on stony ground. Up Shinbone Alley by Night in dark and dirty Pell Street are many tumble-down tenements, most of them inhabited by Chinese, who run gambling dens and opium joints. On one side of the street there are a number of stables and several cheap lodging houses, where for five cents a night one can find shelter and a place to lay down. Halfway down the block, a narrow lane with the local name of Shinbone Alley runs in crescent shape round into the Bowery. This alley was the rendezvous of a gang of young thieves. Many a countryman, or Jack Tar, lured a few steps away from the glare of the Bowery into Shinbone Alley, has found himself suddenly surrounded by a crowd of desperate roughs, and before he was aware of it, lay on his back in the gutter, minus money, watch, and everything else the roughs could get hold of. The thieves vanished as swiftly as they came, and were in safe hiding in stables and dark hallways long before the victim recovered his senses. It was just three o'clock in the morning when I turned into the alley. Halfway through I stumbled over a beer keg, on which a lad was curled half asleep, who started up, but on seeing me, dropped back again, muttering, I thought it were a copper. In answer to the inquiry as to what he was doing there at that time of night, he replied briefly, Snoozin. He was a bright lad of twelve. A portion of an old straw hat hit his dirty, sleepy face. An old vest, several sizes too large, covered a soiled and greasy calico shirt. His pants were a mass of rags and patches, tied together with numerous strings. His feet were covered with dirt, thick enough to answer the purpose of stockings. I entered into conversation by asking his name and what he did for a living. He replied in a true Bowery dialect, Me name's Dutchy. I shines, sells papers, and works the growler for the gang. What's the growler? I asked. Don't you know? He replied, looking at me in undisguised contempt. The growler? Why, that's the pail they gets the beer, and when the gang's in luck, I gets only the froth. We was out tonight and took in the theater. Theater and I was barred out of the house and was snoozing when you come along. The lad interested me. I wanted to learn his story. I was turning over in my mind how best to handle him when my attention was drawn to an old covered wagon directly in front of us, inside of which a conversation was being carried on in low tones. Noticing my look of inquiry, Dutchy said, It's some of the gang. In a moment, a long, typical rough got out of the wagon, staggered over to where I sat, and in a gruff voice said, "'What's the time, boss?' glancing at my watch-pocket, as though he cared more to see the timepiece than to know the time. He seemed disappointed when I told him I had no watch with me. He returned to the wagon, and began conversation again with those inside. I learned from Dutchy that this individual was corky, and that he had just returned from doing time up the river, a term in Sing Sing prison." Dutchy was now called over to the gang, and joined in the whispered consultation. Listening intently, I was convinced from the few words that reached me 
that they were planning to rob me, and I realized that I had fallen among thieves. Praying for wisdom to adopt the best course, I awaited developments. In a few moments, the roughs, to the number of eight or ten, got out of the wagon and gathered round me. One, evidently the leader, advanced nearer than the rest, and said sulkily, "'Boss, we want you to give us five cents till we get a pint of beer to wash the cobwebs from our throats.' The time for action had come. I said, "'See here, boys, I want to give you a bit of good advice.' When you plan to rob anyone, never pick out a missionary, for they are always as poor as a church mouse, and never have anything worth stealing. Now, I'm a missionary, so I can save you the trouble of going through my clothes. There's not a thing in them worth the taking. They stood speechless, and I continued, Boys, I knew what you were up to, but instead of your catching me, I have caught you. Without giving them a chance to say anything, I told them the story of the cross, and how Christ in the agonies of death stopped to save a dying thief, and took him as a companion to paradise, and how, if there was salvation for a dying thief, there was certainly a chance for a living one, if they would only come to the same Saviour. I urged them to quit their life of sin and follow Christ. Not one of them spoke a word. When I turned to go away, I said, Boys, I want you to remember me the next time you see me. Will you do it? Corky spoke up and said, Well, I'm blowed. I've been around these corners for the last seven years, and you're the first one I ever seed round here preaching religion. You can bet your bottom dollar I won't forget your fizz. One of this gang, not long after, to escape a detective, ran into the mission meeting, and, to use his own words, was caught by the great detective and kept from stealing and everything else that was wicked and bad. End of chapter 11